Hi, you're listening to the International Risk Podcast. This podcast is for CEOs, board members, risk and compliance officers, security advisors, and anyone interested in improving operations. On this podcast, we hear from the traditional to the wacky, from renowned corporate risk experts to former spies and special forces soldiers. There is something to learn about the way we perceive, manage and mitigate risk from all of our guests. Meanwhile, the Latin American nation of Brazil is currently witnessing an alarming rise in the number of COVID-19 infections. The massive spike, which has been fueled by the fast-spreading Omicron variant of the coronavirus, has now pushed the country's health infrastructure virtually to its edge. Your host, Dominic Bowen, will ask the questions that you will want the answers to. If you know Dominic, then you know that he is well acquainted with risk. Dominic has successfully established operations in most of the major war zones and disaster affected countries over the last 20 years. He is no stranger to risk and uncertainty and joined by our excellent guests, he'll reveal innovative ideas on how you can ensure your organization thrives in areas with high risk. With regard to the Omicron variant, the most pressing concern is that there, there has to be some action by either the municipality or the state or the federation in order not to overwhelm hospitals. Public health facilities in general are increasingly under stress. Good morning. I'm Dominic and I'm the host of the International Risk Podcast. Today, we're joined by Roberto Cancel. He's a theoretical physicist who's currently working in mathematical biology and complex systems with applications to ecology and epidemiology. He holds a Doctor of Philosophy degree in physics and he's a full-time professor at the Sao Paulo University in Brazil. He's published over 100 articles over the last 30 years. And during the COVID-19 pandemic, he's played a pivotal role in establishing one of the most respected Brazilian groups working on several aspects of the epidemic. And the name of that group is the Brazilian COVID-19 Observatory. Welcome to the podcast today, Roberto. Hello. Thank you for the invitation. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast. And I think it would be really interesting for our listeners to learn more about the Brazilian COVID-19 Observatory. I understand that you and your colleagues have provided key modeling and mathematical analysis to back the science behind what should have been the ideal government response to the public health crisis in Brazil. Can you tell us how you've been engaging and advising government authorities, and maybe even before that, if you can give us a bit of history about why and how you started the Brazilian COVID-19 Observatory? Well, we started as observatory, which is not a, a formal organization. It's a group of researchers. And well, why it's uh, everybody was concerned about COVID and so on. And there are not many mathematical modeling groups in, in Brazil that work with the epidemiology and so on. There are some, but not, not many. And we had some experience on this, not obviously with COVID. Nobody had experience with COVID. We have been working with vector-borne diseases, which is malaria or dengue, or this kind of thing. And principles are more or less the same. So we started to work at the beginning on simple analysis of the epidemic curve of COVID. And with the time, this attracted attention. And many people from public health, I mean, people, epidemiologists, or people that were working at the health secretary in certain cities, started to contact us. And then, obviously, the thing began to increase and get a certain visibility in general in the media. and. 
Overall, in 2020, observatory has engaged some governmental uh, structures, but at the level of the state of Sao Paulo, the state of Sao Paulo is the richest state in Brazil. Its capital, biggest city in Brazil, is also called Sao Paulo. In, in 2020, essentially, trying to make models and data analysis to inform policy. That's more or less how it started. But with the time, we also engaged a lot on communication in, in social media and trying to convey information that is reliable and that's scientifically state of art and has been also very important, the direct communication to public. If we look back at this time last year, so if we look back at this time back in 2021, health systems in nearly all of Brazil's larger cities were close to collapse because of COVID-19. And if I recall correctly, it was over 80% of intensive care beds were occupied across nearly every capital city across Brazil's 27 states. That's a fantastically depressing number. Brazil's a middle-income country with an established health system, generally successful vaccination programs against most diseases. Can you explain for our listeners who may not be well acquainted with Brazil's experience during the pandemic, how and where did things go so wrong with the COVID response in Brazil? So the COVID response in Brazil has been very complicated from the very beginning. And it's impossible not to talk about the politics involved in this. First of all, Brazil is a federal state like USA. So you have a federal government, but the states also have a lot of autonomy. But the point is, the federal government, through the president, Jair Bolsonaro, did not have any policy regarding mitigation of the effects of COVID during all 2020. So the point was, this is just like some flu and the promotion of, of therapies like hydroxychloroquine and related things which don't work. So state's government, which are at the end, the, the states implement the policies, these governments had to take their own action. And this, we have 27 states and poor states and rich states, and it's very, very different from one place to another. Baseline is no coordination, no general policies. Overall, no testing. So the federal government did not have a testing policy. And the big problem was from January to May, more or less, 2021, when you have this gamma variant in Brazil that first appeared in the Amazonian region in the city, which is the capital of the state of Amazonas. And you have an explosion of cases in January 2021. And there was no reaction in good time to prevent death. So this was horrible, but there was no oxygen at hospitals and things like that, and, and people that just died suffocated. The federal government had no, say, all the logistics that involved in supplying oxygen, I mean, sending doctors. And so this was a real big, big problem in January. And in the following months, what, what happened is that it was obvious for all the researchers that this wouldn't say in Amazonas. Well, when you say Amazonas, one, one thing that people have to think is that's a very poor state and uh, they could not do it by themselves to mitigate their situation. They, they needed help from the federal government. But no action was taken by the federal government and some action was taken at the level of municipalities and sometimes of governments of the states. And we had no, for instance, genomic surveillance. I mean, surveillance and looking what are the variants that are currently circulating. And, and then there was a big explosion of cases. This is the worst part of the epidemic was this. 
Then, following that, after May, we have something which is good in Brazil, which is vaccination. There are no anti-vax movements, and most people, if they say, if you ask a person on the street and say, do you want to get the vaccine? They say, yeah, yeah, here's my arm. No problem. People do this very easily. Although the Bolsonaro government has made a campaign against vaccinations on the public communication, on the other hand, it finally bought the necessary vaccines with a delay which costs like 50,000 lives because the real beginning of the vaccination rollout is like bar mainly in May. But then, well, people, even I think people that sympathize with the, with the extreme right government, which is a denialist government, and then they go and have their vaccines. So this is a good thing in Brazil. There is a good acceptance of vaccines and there is already a network of people that normally every year there's a vaccination campaign. And so this worked well and somehow this mitigated the arrival of the Delta variant. People were vaccinated at that time. That's so interesting that there's no anti-vax movements in Brazil. Why do you think that is? That's kind of tradition. There has been always a positive thing connected to the vaccination. And people adhere to vaccination campaigns. And now we have every year the flu vaccination that's seen as normal. The last year, there has been some anti-vax campaigns, but it's a very ideological thing. And it's people that, that I mean, it's, it's kind of denialist, alt-right people. And they have, they make a lot of noise in the social media, on Twitter, on Facebook. And, but actually, I think they, they, they themselves get vaccinated also because at the end, the vaccination rollout is very successful. So it's more like a tradition and people have some confidence that vaccines are a good thing. Well, it's always good when science occasionally has a win. <laughs> Currently, there's, I believe there's been about 23 million cases reported in Brazil. And at its peak, I think there was nearly 70,000 cases per day. Tragic, tragic figures. Over 620,000 people died in Brazil because of COVID. But despite these you know, staggering statistics, the President Bolsonaro has consistently sought to downplay the threat posed by the virus and has previously told people to stop whining. Noting that that's the environment that you're working in and health professionals and scientists and doctors and nurses and public health officials are working in, what do you see as some of the most pressing concerns relating to the new Omicron variant? With regard to the Omicron variant, the most pressing concern is that there, there has to be some action by either the municipality or the state or the federation in order not to overwhelm hospitals. Public health facilities in general are increasingly under stress. Main thing is we have to go through this Omicron wave as other countries are also doing. And we hope that this will not last very long. If we look at uh, South Africa, England, show more or less that the, the Omicron wave will be a very high number of cases, but not for a long time. At this point, we don't know. We don't have data. There's a problem having data about cases in Brazil, data about hospitalization, reliable data, but not about cases because we don't test. Everybody knows people that, that have COVID. There's a, even a joke saying that if you don't know anybody that has COVID, you don't have any friends. There's a feeling that we have a very strong increase in number of cases, but we are flying blind. The main concern is hospital facilities, public health facilities should not collapse. We don't know. At, at the moment, they didn't, didn't collapse, but we don't have enough tests. So if you go to a public hospital, which is 80% of the population is, relies on public hospitals, 
at this point, we don't know what is exactly the situation. We are not testing enough and we are hoping that this will not take too long. But there is no real policy. It's no secret that President Bolsonaro has consistently ridiculed the science behind the concerns around the COVID pandemic, and he's even condemned the imposition of restrictions at the municipality level, which is not inconsistent with some of the things we've seen done by other uh, interesting governments. What types of challenges has the scientific community experienced in Brazil, and perhaps more specifically to you? What are some of the risks that you faced and your colleagues have faced when establishing the Brazilian COVID-19 observatory? I don't think we face risks in the sense of physical risks being threatened by people connected to, to Bolsonaro. On social media, we, got, we have a team of, of people that work with, with social media for the observatory. Well, they sometimes get into some harsh discussions, but I mean, it's not that bad. One thing is that our communication and public communication always goes under the name uh, Brazilian COVID-19 Observatory, which is not a person, it's an organization. And you know, this more harsh thing usually try to punch the people. We don't face threats as, as citizens at this point. I, I don't think this is a real problem. And, but there are always challenges in communicating science and being heard in the public debate. This is something different, which depends not only on us and depends on, not only also on the federal government, which usually has some den denialist opinions. I think that in general, we have been successful with communicate newspapers and uh, TV uh, networks. We are being heard in some sense. Do you think as a result of some of the, the statements by the president and some of the other government ministers, do you think that there's a growing distrust or disbelief in the scientific community? Or do you think that, in general, the population in Brazil still listens to the science? It's difficult to answer because Brazil, it's, as you stated at the beginning, upper middle class income country. Education in Brazil, it's very complicated. People have access to the schools, but still the general level of instruction in the population is the structural problem that has nothing to do with present government. Scientific awareness is very low. That's the bottom line of what you have with respect to COVID is there are a lot of people that connected to denialist groups or groups of people that propagate fake news about disinformation. Their main channel is using direct messages like WhatsApp or Telegram, which is difficult to control. There are a lot of people that have a very bad information. I understand that the Brazilian Health Ministry website has been attacked quite a few times recently, and that's led to information about the vaccine program as well as the digital vaccination certificates being hacked. What do you think is motivating these attacks? Difficult to answer with an affirmative answer about who's behind this. The government and the federal police, which is investigating, they don't tell people what's behind. So it could be just some hacker group, um, ransomware group, speculative. We don't know what would be a political motivation for that. In December, we were discussing vaccinations of children and all this alt-right movement, Bolsonaro people that are against the vaccination of children from 5 to 12 years old. And obviously not having data is a way to make the discussion dataless. Everybody can say whatever they want. And, and at the end, we don't have data to, to support uh, one or, or other cases. So that, that's more or less, it could be a motivation, but I'm not 
there are a lot of conspirational theories about what could be on going on. And I'm not convinced of necessarily being uh, politically motivated. I mean, whilst, whilst looking at the Ministry of Health, Roberto, the Brazilian Council of State Health Secretariats estimates that since the last week in December, one in five health professionals have taken sick leave. And over the same time frame, so just since the last week of December, over 5,000 health professionals have left their jobs. These are really concerning trends. How worried are you about these sort of numbers? The big concern with Omicron is that more and more people get infected, more and more people will have to leave their service, their jobs for at least, uh, I don't know, a week. And uh, then you could have the problem that you don't have professionals at the front end of at the hospitals. And that's a concern. Problem is not acknowledged by the government, neither the government of the federation of the Brazilian government, but also the state governments uh, most of the time don't acknowledge this problem. This could be uh, in the following weeks a major problem if people get sick and uh, services, health services uh, can't be run normally. Speaking of serious problems, some health experts are warning that Brazil is now a breeding ground for new variants of the virus, unhindered by effective social distancing, policies that are ineffective and fueled by vaccine shortages within some communities. And even in late 2021, President Bolsonaro was the focus of a Senate investigation that actually accused him of crimes against humanity because of the way he handled the pandemic. And in particular, how indigenous groups in Brazil have been particularly affected by the pandemic. And most importantly, there's real questions being asked about what could have been done better in terms of distribution of these vaccines to remote areas where these indigenous groups reside and what can be done within Brazil to ensure that it's not a laboratory for creating new variants of COVID. Let's start with the indigenous groups. So indigenous groups are on the attack with Bolsonaro's government because not of COVID, because of conflicts regarding the property of their land, trying to focus on COVID. Once vaccination started in Brazil, it started late, the indigenous groups were on the priority list. And it's not very easy to deliver the vaccines, but these are decisions, these priority list, decisions that are more technical, as it's not so much political. So this is, is not the, the Minister of Health or the, the second or third level will take this decision. They're more technical. And this uh, are people that are not so involved ideologically with the government. So this went on more or less okay. How to ensure that Brazil is not a, a place where we will see a lot of new variants? There is a problem, a general scientific problem. You know, how this variant here, where... where where are the most likely places to, they, that they, they will appear? High number of cases means high number of transmissions. And every transmission, you have uh, the, the possibility of mutations. For the time being, people are more or less hopeful that the uh, Omicron wave, well, it's connected to milder diseases and not a high number of hospitalizations. And maybe after the Omicron wave, we will have at least some rest, some more a period without so much cases because immunity will be high in the population due to vaccination. I don't think Brazil is in this point particularly problematic place. My concerns are much more about the infrastructure of health services, health systems, the appearance of new variants, which I think is inevitable in the midterm. Noting that there certainly have been, hopefully, lessons learned throughout the pandemic across the world, but specifically about Brazil and specifically as an epidemiologist and a scientist and a public health professional, what do you think are some of the lessons that Brazil should be learning about how to handle future pandemics? 
that there are many lessons of what worked well and what was really not okay. So Brazil has unique uh, health uh, system. The system has a very strong, very high capillarity. It's everywhere. And this has been instrumental for the vaccination campaign. This is a good thing. And this system should be enforced. One thing that Brazil has to learn better is how to take into account sound science in order to inform public decisions. Here in Brazil, this is a very low level of compared with U.S. or France or Germany. In USA, you have the CDC. The opinion of CDC is always important. In France, you have Institut Pasteur. These people cannot be just disregarded. So there are institutional level of people that have some independence from the government. They are public institutions, but not like directly connected to the president or the prime minister. These things are important. These institutions are important. Their opinion is very important. We should have something more similar here in Brazil. We have important public health institutions, it's called the Portuguese Fiocruz, which has not been heard by the government. But we need more established bodies of public health research which cannot be just disregarded. And other things are also important. We have, we don't have a genomic surveillance and surveillance has been faulty. One thing which is inescapable is that if you have a denialist government, you are really in trouble. High-level decisions are not science-based, and this leaves room for decisions at lower levels which have no coordination. The Brazilian economy has been suffering greatly for the last couple of years, partly because of COVID and potentially because of mismanagement. But if we look at the COVID-related issues, Brazil's National Association of Restaurants says that almost all of its members are suffering with significant staff shortages because of COVID-related sick leave. Multiple airlines within Brazil are cancelling flights due to staff shortages. When we look at the economic impacts of COVID, what do you think are some of the things that business leaders and community members can be doing to positively contribute to a recovery of the Brazilian economy? I think that business leader associations, they should be better informed by sound science about what is going on. Sometimes it's better to act quickly. It has been shown around the world that uh, government countries that have acted very rapidly, they have had better success, better results than countries that waited too much like Brazil. I think that people, responsible people at the, at the business level and their associations, they should engage in having for their own interest to have good advice about what is going on. So I don't think economic problems are not important. I think it's not only that, that the only thing we have is health problems, economic problems are important, but they have to be discussed together with people that have some voice, companies. And when I say they have to be discussed, it's really discussed. It's that there should be a more or less rational dialogue based on ideas and on data. And Roberto, if we look globally, what do you see as the biggest risks related to the COVID pandemic when we look around the world? For 2022, well, first we have to come over the Omicron wave. So there are some hope, and it's a hope, it's not a scientific fact, uh, that after COVID, after Omicron, maybe we'll have some better times, and uh, we hope that new variants, the virus is evolving. And uh, there will be no new variants, but maybe all the new variants will be mild in some sense. Won't, won't take so many people to the hospital. It's a hope. But well, it can turn out that it, it's not like that. 
Well, other things are, well, we have challenges regarding long COVID. Long COVID is uh, people that have symptoms or have house problems due to COVID for a long time. And that this is still to be seen. Important challenges will be also to have more effective vaccines because vaccine technology is evolving also. And on a longer time scale, well, the challenge will be we won't be able to vaccinate all the population every two or three months. So at a certain point, to a, what people call an endemic situation where it is normal to have COVID, then there will be people that have to be more protected. But uh, it's like flu, like everybody had already had flu in, in their lives. This transition is the big question mark for this year. And for the next year also, will we have this transition and which would end epidemic situation and go to an endemic situation, which would require still some mitigation measures, but not so radical. I mean, that's the hope. We will have a transition. Maybe you have to still take some uh, cautionary measures that mitigate the situation. If you look one year ago, October, November 2020, everybody thought, Oh, it's going away. It's already at the end phase and so on. And we had a terrible year of 2021. So I hope 2022 will be better. Well, Roberto, we know one thing from our risk management practices. Wherever there's uncertainty, wherever there's a big question, there's a possibility of opportunities. And of course, there's a possibility of risks. So as we move through 2022, let's just hope that we can steer into these risks with, with good mitigations, build resilience, and hopefully get through this still standing up. But thanks very much for joining us on the podcast today, Roberto. Thank you for having me here. And- Fantastic. Thanks very much, Roberto. That was a very insightful conversation with Roberto Kankel, a professor at the Sao Paulo State University in Brazil, and also an establishing member of the Brazilian COVID-19 Observatory. Thank you for joining us this week on the International Risk Podcast, and be sure to subscribe to ensure you receive the latest episodes in your podcast feed. You've been listening to the International Risk Podcast hosted by Dominic Bowen. Please go to wherever you download your podcasts and give this podcast a five-star review. Your positive reviews on this podcast and subscribing to future downloads is critical for our success. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend about this podcast. Consider if you know someone that would appreciate or benefit from today's conversation and send them this podcast right now. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for your fix of risk-related stories.